And I'm Emily. Today we're going to talk about confirmation bias. Also very topical in our always often political climate, for sure. You get to start us off today. Yeah, so I'm going to just give a little bit of a background on confirmation bias. It's it's kind of sparse, not going to lie, because it's a basic concept. It's okay. I have some stories that have a lot of stuff in it. Like, I even got bored. Of, well, I didn't get bored. I got overwhelmed with researching it. So there's some parts where I'm like, there's a lot more information I can go into, and then I just don't. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So, confirmation bias. What is confirmation bias? Well, I'm going to describe that to you. But first, my sources. Confirmation bias is in my notes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> By Paul... Gianelli from the journal Criminal Justice. Thanks, Paul. Wikipedia. And then my third article is Biases in the Interpretation and Use of Research Results by Robert McCune in the Annual Review of Psychology. Damn, you make me feel bad because I just got like the names of the websites I pulled it off of and you're like throwing out articles and names and shit. That's because I couldn't tell if criminal justice was the name of the journal or not, so I was just like, I'll just give everything. (laughs) Before we define confirmation bias, we need to define the umbrella term it falls under, which is cognitive bias. Cognitive bias is when people see what they expect to see. Confirmation bias is just one type of these biases. There are many. There's so many that Wikipedia has, like, oh my god, so many so many links of so (laughs) many different kinds of biases and I was like oh my god like every sort of like little nitpicky like class of bias they could make there's a bias for that so you just know that someone with a degree went into wikipedia and like edited that whole thing yeah because I wouldn't do that yeah no it's awful there's multiple how many biases are there five and a lot of them like have their own wikipedia pages like separate like you you click a link so you go to like another page no i'm not not gonna do it it's a whole thing not gonna do it so we're just gonna talk about confirmation bias so confirmation bias occurs when you search for results that confirm your preconceived notion and and you ignore in other information that does not so like if you have an idea about something you're more likely to focus on the things that confirm that idea than you are to be persuaded to think otherwise by information that does not confirm your idea. Mm -hmm. Let's go into an example, shall we? Okay, I have a lot of examples because that's what basically all you could do to help with going into inferentics. Common source of confirmation bias because, you know, well, first of all, there are lots of, like, preconceived stereotypes that you might be looking for, you know, there's, like, a reason there's a lot of black men in prison. It's probably because people are looking for those black men to fuck up and to put them in prison. They already assume that they're criminals, so they're looking for criminal behaviors from black men. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's a pretty basic example of confirmation bias. Yeah. To go a more in-depth and less um, dark route, um, (laughs) I have eyewitness example. So, an eyewitness may be uncertain of who robbed a a store because they saw it occur from, like, far away. 
so they might think it was their neighbor Jeff, because Jeff always wears a red baseball cap, and the robber was with a red baseball cap, so they think it might be Jeff. If they find out that Jeff is one of the police's main suspects, then they're gonna think it's Jeff, because that confirms their belief that they already had, yeah, that it was probably Jeff, so now they're like, oh, it's definitely yeah. Why Jeff. Why else would they look at Jeff? Even if their neighbor Monica says she saw Jeff at the dog park at the time of the crime. They're gonna mm-hmm. ignore Monica, because Monica's dumb, and like she doesn't know who she saw. So, Monica don't know shit. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna go with um the police because obviously the police know best. Yeah, you know obviously. So they've never fucked up ever. No, so they're now gonna definitely think that it was Jeff that robbed the store because. See, it, the poor thing is, is it Jeff with a G or Jeff with a J? Oh, I spelled with a J. Oh. I guess they could have gone Josh. 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 Now I'm saying Jeff with a J. He's probably up to some shit. <laughs> so yeah. Basically, confirmation bias causes you to be selective, like a selective listener to information that you like, and you are going to tune out information that you don't like. So this is why your Republican grandmother still likes Trump, even though he (laughs) is terrible. (laughs) She thinks he's doing a great job because she's just listening to the information that Republican pundits that support her beliefs are saying like she's gonna yeah. go with the people that are supporting the grand old party because like the grand old party is always right that's that's funny because i literally had a conversation with my grandma a couple days ago where she was like talking about how angry she was at trump and how she was he was handling things and she was like you're not a trump supporter are you emily and i was like god no grandma and she's like i don't understand your father i don't know how he can support him why does your dad support him? He's so smart. I don't understand. And I was like, I don't know what to tell you, Grandma. Confirmation bias. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a very strong persuasive tool. Like, and I must admit, alternatively, this is why every time Trump fucks up, I love to point it out and show off what an idiot he is because it supports my confirmation mm-hmm. bias that Trump is terrible. And he's always going to fuck up no matter what. And that the GOP is a horrible party that should be disbanded. But anyway, <laughs> let's not go too deep into yeah. it. Um, Still a confirmation bias. Doesn't it, mean you're necessarily wrong. We'll get to that. There, <laughs> there's some situations in which confirmation biases are accurate. Yeah. But you cannot guarantee that you are in that situation. It's a little yeah. shaky. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. Hard to tell. So people like to believe opinions that they have already formed. They do not like to be wrong about things. So you're I hate being wrong. <laughs> yeah. It sucks and it feels dumb. So you're not gonna just suddenly like switch your mind and like I didn't do too much I didn't do too much research into this. I do know that if you form an opinion and it might be shaky and you're not sure of it at first. If you form that opinion and then somebody with a weak argument comes by and tries to change your opinion, but their argument is weak and you can argue against it, you're less likely to change your opinion in the future even when presented with a stronger argument. So that's probably, you know, like a lot of political arguments are, no, your, your party's dumb. It's, you're wrong. And then people are like, what? No, I don't think yeah. my party's wrong. What are you talking about? And then somebody later comes along and is like, well, your party's wrong because of this and this and this and this. They're like, well, nope, I already decided that they're not wrong, so I'm going to stick with that. Like, it's it's a lot harder to change people's opinions when they've already been somewhat affronted. 
<laughs> they've already built up sort of maybe like a little bit of security or, or secure feeling yeah. in their opinion. Yeah, and because so, they're like, well, that guy was wrong, mm-hmm. so I must be right. And yeah. then I must be right later on as well. Yeah, my opinion's right. And it doesn't matter if you come in and sound factual and smart. It's like, no, you're still wrong. So bias, um, this sort of bias also heavily affects memories. Down the road, if you believe that high school was the most awesome time of your life, and when you truly peaked, sad, um, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're going to remember, <laughs> you're going to remember all the fun times you had, winning football games and losing your virginity at prom and sneaking off campus to get lunch at Subway, not the time you flunked geometry or were sus- suspended for smoking weed behind the portables. But also, if high school was truly the well, no, time no, no, of this, your life, yeah. I don't want to know you, <laughs> I'm going to say. That's, okay. If that's true, I don't want to associate with you. Alternatively, if you thought high school sucked and you like just absolutely hated it, you're more likely to remember all the people that you disliked and the teacher that was like, ooh, you want to go to that college? Oh. Mm, good luck. You want to go to A&M? <clears throat> oh, no, oh. I meant like... Oh, you want to go to Harvard? Oh. <laughs> Good luck. You know? Um, Ouch. You know, that teacher. Yeah. Uh, not the times that you, you know, spent with your friends and, like, maybe did, like, a cool art project. I don't know. But... Um, you were in the play and it was really great. Yeah. Like, you're not going to remember those times as much yeah. as you're going to remember all the times that you hated because mm-hmm. you just generally think high school sucks. Yeah. So you're going to remember that. hmm Confirmation bias will also affect... Therefore, our view of history. If you've ever heard the winner writes the history books, that's largely due to confirmation bias. So if you, America, won a war, World War II, you're going (laughs) to record and remember the facts that show how awesome you were. Winning that war. Not all the shit you fucked up. Hiroshima, for example. Never heard of her. Or the fact that the U.S. pretty much joined at the point where the Axis powers were already waning. Shh. What? That sounds USA. fake. USA. 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 <laughs> yeah. You're not going to care about all the fuck. You're going to remember, oh, well, we were the good guys. Yeah. Yeah. So we were the good guys. We won. So we won. We yeah. Won. And that confirms that we were the good guys. Yeah. Because we won. Yeah, we helped them win. I don't, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're spreading lies, Laura. Sorry. I didn't realize this was going to be such a controversial topic. <laughs> anyway. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> so why does confirmation bias exist? Well, some of the time it does help coming to the right conclusions about things. It supports information that we have some reason to already believe and is kind of like a shortcut in, in our thinking that helps us survive. So if you saw Gronk eat the red mushroom and Gronk died, you now know, okay, I probably, like, if you come across red mushrooms in the future, you're just gonna assume not to eat them. And if you see that Grug ate one, and he dies too. That now you know for sure. Yeah. Exactly. You were right mm-hmm. to avoid those red mushrooms. Yeah. You know? Poor Gronk and Grug. <laughs> yeah. First when you said Gronk, I'm like, is this going to be like an actual person that I should know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. You don't know our historical figure, Gronk? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> you need to brush up on your history. It's been a while since I've been in a history class. I apologize. But, 
it's really hard to tell when you're in this sort of situation. And that was like a really dumb example. There are like other like statistical no, examples. I, I liked it. But like, I really liked it. <laughs> but basically, yes, yeah, sometimes confirmation bias helps. Helps you come to the right conclusion, does it a lot faster than if you were picking through every single little fact every single time. However, you can never know when you're in that situation. And so you should be wary of when you are when you are kind of letting your biases decide things for you. And you hold your ground for ideas, right? Like Yeah. You might you might want to at least consider the opposing sides, you know, it's no one learns from echo chambers. Mm-hmm. You you do need to like get out there, hear other information, look at that and decide if it holds any sort of value. Is it kind of like one of those things where they say like you should listen not to respond but to hear what someone is saying, you know, like when they that, talk? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, you shouldn't just be thinking or just not listening at all, not processing yeah. any of their information just so you can be the loudest voice in the room. You need yeah. to, like, actually process. Like, I think, like, one of my professors that I really loved because he truly, like, emphasized this in his discussion class mm-hmm. was my professor for, um, it was, like, a Native American studies class and the representation of Native Americans in film and how it is often racist. Um mm-hmm. And there was just this girl who was like, no, I think headdresses are cool, and it's cool to wear them to, like, ACL or whatever, and, like, you know, be, Talk like, exactly trippy. like that? Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, damn. Pretty much. <laughs> and he was like, well, that's interesting. You know, they are beautiful. Like, he was willing to listen to her. Mm-hmm. Now, he didn't, like, say she was right or wrong. He was just willing to listen to that side of things. Yeah. And unlike me, not mock her. <laughs> <laughs> like I just did now. <laughs> yeah. um, and to actually, you know, have a conversation, mm-hmm. which I think is important for any sort of, you know, it's it's hard, it's 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 hard mm-hmm. to shut down that part of you that does just want to go off and does just want to prove your point. But it is important to talk to each other like humans, and to also understand that not everyone has the same background as you and people are going to form a dif- different opinion than you and to try to be logical yeah. about this information and not rely too much on biases yeah. to prove your points. Well, I remember that one time you told me that you were able to do that, which is, I mean, it's very surprising for me to hear that you were able to like oh. listen to someone. Oh, are you talking like, about the girl at the party? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I'm like, I, when I also remember you telling me like in high school and like government class or something where you were like arguing with some guy and like poor victoria was like stuck in the middle oh. and like shouting like across i mean the table. there were many <laughs> <laughs> you're like which which ones there, <laughs> there were so many there were actually so many periods where i got in arguments with that person mm-hmm. that like it kind of became like a school rumor of like oh my god we have to go to government class again with those two like oh <laughs> uh, and yeah i, I apologize <laughs> For being part of the problem. <laughs> it's okay. It was high school. Right. We're all dumb and stupid in high school. No, I, I, I feel like it's easier for me in a setting, in certain settings to, mm. like, adjust my tone. Yeah. On Facebook, I go off. Not on Facebook, but, like, in my head, I yeah. go off, you know. Oh, I used to, like, <laughs> I would Google, like, just incendiary topics and then read the comments and stuff and make myself angry. I, oh, yeah. I was like, why do I, why do I do this? Yep. Like, um, 
I recently posted a coronavirus article on my Facebook page. I saw page. that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my uncle shared it. And my uncle is, you know, one of those, I want to call him a moderate Dem, mm-hmm. a right-leaning Dem, where, like, he's technically, like, a Democrat in some he situations. He votes Democrat, but... But he is pretty conservative in a lot of his beliefs. Mm-hmm. Oh, it took every, like, effort not to read the comments that were posted on, like, his vers- his shared version. Because it was a very liberal link, and a lot of his friends are not liberal. Because he does kind of fall into that category yeah. of not as liberal. And it was a very liberal, like, appearance that, like... Well, it was also very factual. It was just, like, the White House is fucking up, and this mm-hmm. is why. And it's like... Oh my god, I just read one comment and it was like, I don't like how this is dissing the president. And it took every, like, ounce of strength not to be like, it's not dissing the president. The president has done these things. It's just stating the facts. But, like, uh, yeah. It was trying to very, have that talk with uh, my dad. He's like, but China. And I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not doing this with you. <laughs> like, like I'm, I'm not talking mm-hmm. about China. Let's not talk about China. But China. We're not doing this today, sir. No. I just don't get into arguments with my dad anymore, political stuff. It's just, it's not worth the stress. Yeah. And it's it's hard because you want to educate yeah. them, but then but you realize they can't be educated. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. It's very difficult to not rely on confirmation bias, but fortunately in these times, you, you might want to think take about Take a step stuff. back. Yeah. Yeah. Take a step back. It is hard. Anyway. Our brain loves shortcuts. Oh, yes. So many shortcuts. But that's pretty much all I have. Okay, cool. That was... Alright, so then I'm gonna go. Um, so I have some... Well, I have one that's a bit more fun topic of confirmation bias, and the other one's a bit more, like, actual, like, real-world impact and stuff. Cool. So which one should I do first? Let's do impact, and then okay. we will leave on a high note. Cool. That's good, because um, I, I made a lot of... I put a lot of fun comments in the, the fun one, because it was fun with the second one. <laughs> Not so much. So my sources for this first one, you're gonna give it away pretty quickly. It's so my sources include the History of Vaccines website, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, a study from NCBI, the New York Times, and then um, a little bit from Texas, Texas for Vaccine Choice. So, I like that. Yeah, I'm sure um, it's pretty obvious what I'm gonna talk about. I'm glad <laughs> this was a good topic. This is like it was one of the first things that popped in my head with confirmation bias, just because um, it you'll go into. It's going to be heavily discredited. Then, just to start off, but, this hmm? um, you know, if you want to drop what essential oils you've been deciding to use to cure coronavirus, I mean, go for it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So just to start off, in case this was ever up for debate, uh, vaccines are fucking important. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> but apparently, it needs to be I know. said anyway. It needs to be said. To Karen. Um, Karen on Facebook with, with her essential oils. Um, I feel bad using the name Karen because I love Karen Kilgariff and she's one of the main reasons we even started this fucking podcast. Yeah. But it still is like a good, you know, white lady name. Yeah, with the, the <laughs> can I speak to your manager haircut, yes. Karen. And you all know exactly what that haircut mm-hmm. looks like. And if you don't, just Google. You'll yeah. find it. Just literally Google, can I speak to your manager haircut? It'll come up. I mean, because when we talk about anti-vaxxers, most of the conversation now is in, like, modern-day talks about it. This actually goes back pretty far. I mean, which I guess makes sense. But they they will um, – because they didn't go into, like, the history of the anti-vaxxer movement. But um, – I knew it was a religious thing for a while. Mm-hmm. 
well, it went all the way back to the, uh, to, you know, smallpox, you know, which is that disease that you don't want to have. Please it's, don't throw smallpox parties. Let's just get that out there. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. Just take the fucking vaccine if you want to do that. The vaccine is the dead version of the virus. Why are you giving the live version? <laughs> anyway, yeah, why do you want that? Um, and then, of course, um, some vaccines. I didn't, I just wrote down, like, what you'll, it's the MMR and the D, DTP, which is, like, mumps, measles, pertussis is in there uh Um, dtp is tetanus right pretty sure there's a lot i had to get that last year yeah the one you have to get the updates for um the updates (laughs) every seven years i'm all like system must be updated (laughs) reboot to reboot at the finish uh but yeah so i mean which are you know vaccinations that everyone has in their medical history um they were not well loved when they came about and of course never forget about the mercury so do vaccines cause autism that was the question the question now i should say back in the day it was just sort of like is this bad for you but now they're asking do vaccines cause autism some theories do include uh, one is that the mmr vaccine damages the intestinal lining which allows encephalopathic proteins to enter encephalopathic just means any disease relating to the brain oh see this this is the part that comes from the smart article <laughs> that i was like that's a really long word i'm like typing it on one computer and looking over at the other one Enceph means brain path me patho means disease yeah cool okay thanks laura um, i took exactly one semester of medical terminology and got a c in it it's Woo! coming in handy though right now so then the next one is fin Fimerosal? Okay. Okay. You don't know. Okay. It sounds like a. That's ethyl mercury, uh, which is it's an ethyl mercury containing preservative in some vaccines. Um, oh yes. Yeah. Okay. Which is toxic to the toxic to the central nervous system. Mercury is. Okay. Uh, I'm not saying that ethyl mercury is, as I will go into later. I was gonna say that. Yeah. Okay. Finally, one of the the third theory is that simultaneous administration of multiple vaccines overwhelms or weakens the immune system. So, to get started on the first one. Oh, man, there's so much. I just have to get my word out, but I know you're going to go into it, but I just want to when, when, when I'm done with it, I'll let you throw in whatever information I didn't cover. Because, like I said, it, it there's a lot. Oh, in it was just also really hard not to go, no, when you asked, oh. do vaccines cause oh. autism? <laughs> <laughs> no. To start, on February 28th, 1998, Andrew Wakefield, a British gastroenterologist, uh, say that five times fast, uh, as we 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 struggled we struggled a little bit yesterday when you were talking about your gastroenterologist. Yeah, yeah. Now I can say it perfectly. Yeah, now it's fine. So uh, he published a now infamous paper uh, with some colleagues that was about eight children whose first signs of autism. Oh, it looked like you were going to say something. I wanted to say something. <laughs> That's why. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. Pu- I just- <laughs> There's so much fucking wrong with this whole experiment, and we covered like all of it in my like child psych class, and uh-huh. it's just hard not to be like. Gonna break it. I got. I, I he bribed I, children. He bribed children with money to give him blood. Who does that? Did you go into that? No. So I'm. Oh not, my god! They didn't it was so that. fucked up. <laughs> he would be like at birthday parties, going like, "Hey kid, you look like you might have autism. Wanna give me some blood?" And, like, the parents weren't like involved. five dollars. Yeah, like, here's five bucks. Give me your blood. Let me go take some blood samples from you at this birthday party. It's like, it okay. so fucked up. Yeah. Anyway. So, 
up and publish said that there were eight children whose first signs of autism showed one month after receiving the MMR vaccination and getting money from Let's them. Let's also note that eight is a significantly tiny population, even if it was true. Okay. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, and all of them had gastrointestinal problems. So, you know, from this Wakefield's, you know, using his deductive reasoning. Uh, was it because they were all his patients? Because that I might know, right? explain I was why like, yeah, you're a gastroenterologist. A um, but <laughs> he concluded then that the MMR vaccine caused intestinal inflammation that put peptides in the bloodstream that went to the brain and voila, autism. I'm going to say this. I dumbed it down a bit. There were a lot of big scientific words. But here's the actual science. First off, there's no control group here. He just has random people. And as Laura pointed out, he's a gastroenterologist. He's and going to have kids with stomach problems and a lot of the kids were friends of his kids yeah i'm pretty sure like i don't remember if they were grandkids or his nephews or something yeah but like it's i do random. remember that it wasn't random mm-hmm. it wasn't a random sample it was like children that of this of the similar group that were all hanging out together because yeah. they were similar socioeconomic status mm-hmm. similar like just they knew each other you know yeah. it was yeah it wasn't and, a random control yeah group. and it simply can't even be random because they are his patients there are people who right. are going to see him for their stomach problems um, and, I mean, just to consider, uh, in a year, about 50,000 British children received the MMR vaccine um, between one and two years old. When autism also first starts to show, there's going to be inevitable overlap that you're going to see kids who get the vaccine and then are also showing signs of autism. Like, that's when it happens. And I think there was, like, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, like I said, this, because this comes from, like, a, a smart person article. Uh, so there was a lot more science that essentially said your hypothesis is bad and you should feel bad. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't feel like writing it. But if anyone's actually curious, it, the article is vac- Vaccines and Autism, A Tale of Shifting Hypothesis. And you can read it yourself. Yeah. Like, it's very well written out and stuff. I didn't read the whole thing because I was like, I'm just kind of picking up some history but, like, here. This, this guy was a huge clusterfuck of a oh, doctor absolutely. so like just just find an art you know if you want to you can just entertain yourself with how horrible a fucking doctor he, he was. was he was not a good doctor and i mentioned this later but just say it now is he's not practicing oh, anymore yeah. no. he's been he's he's as banished as his, you can get in the medical community medical license has been permanently revoked yeah they're never <laughs> letting him back um and so, so then to move on to the second theory is that the thymer russell I'm just going to say it differently each time. Uh, it is an antibacterial. Yeah, the preservative. It is an antibacterial that has been used in vaccines for, I think it was, a little, you said, about a little less than 50 years, so quite a few decades. Um, but in 1997, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration uh, mandated that all mercury in food and drugs be identified. And in 1999, it was found that children might be receiving as much as, let me see, I should have asked about this before. As much as 187.5 weird looking U's, G's. Those are, so um, that's a mu, mu. the Greek letter okay. mu. So I think that's micrograms. Micrograms. So yeah, as much as 187.5 micrograms of mercury before they were six months old. And if you're a parent, immediate reaction is mercury bad, right? And so while no evidence suggested that ethyl mercury found in vaccines was in any way harmful, uh, the American uh, Academic sorry, American Academy of Pediatrics and the Public Health Services, we're like, let's just get rid of it anyways. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. A lot they of, were just like, let's just nix it then. Yeah, let's just get it. We'll find a different one. And 
you know, of course, nobody cared that the signs of, like, mercury poison and autism are, like, fucking different things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Concerned parents be concerned parents. So, no, we're not dealing with that. Are we going to get to the whole you shouldn't even mess with parents who claim to have autism thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. Cool. I'm I'm probably not going to go into it as much as you would. So, if you want to have that moment to, like, expel. Yeah, a little bit. Go ahead. Um, So, of course... So the MMR vaccine and the preservative, mercury preservative, have been shot down. Uh, but you see, they still don't like vaccines. So next is, what about too many vaccines? They're babies, goddammit. And what was babies sort of... Babies with exactly zero immunity? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just putting all these vaccines in them. It's, you can't do that. But So the kind of, uh, the one that was brought up in this research paper, so the poster child of this um part kind of became a nine-year-old girl who had a a mitochondrial enzyme deficiency whose encephalopathy uh which included features also seen in autism spectrum disorder saw worsening of symptoms after getting multiple vaccines at 19 months you know i'm i almost feel like you know do i need to point out that this is you know anecdotal and in no way like applicable to a group at large but you know deep learned confirmation bias um the anti-vaxxers aren't listening so we'll just move on from there and a lot of this did come about was because there was a rising uh like rising cases of autism around the globe but i mean that can also be easily explained by the broadened criteria and increased awareness yeah and i think there was like this was an actually interesting phenomenon um that not a lot of people consider called the silicon valley effect There is a strong correlation of people who are good with technology also (laughs) having autism. Mm -hmm. And because of the Silicon Valley boom, where a lot of people moved out to that area who all had similar interests, and now, you know, lots of cities across the U.S. have those sorts of technology draws to them, there's actually evidence to support that because autism is also shown to be heritable, hereditary, mm-hmm. <laughs> that um, ever since the boom of the Silicon Valley and a bunch of people of that nature all living together in the same area and all marrying each other oh. and having lots of babies, oh. we've seen a spike in the autism population because people with autism are just having more kids. That's interesting. I haven't heard that theory. Yeah. What? Hmm, yeah. Learned about that in my childhood class. Interesting. Yeah. And, I mean, of course, it's also the fact that, like, people with autism have always existed. If you read back right. in the old stories, it's, you know, it's that Jim who, you know, really seems to have a fascination for fishing and stuff like that. Like, they didn't know what to right. do. They didn't know what to do with them or what to call it. But he, they've always been there. Like, right. It's, it's Same not, with, it's like, not lesbians. You just thought yeah. they were really good friends. Yes. You're like, oh, those two women, you know, those old spinsters. They spend so much time together. What good friends. Mm-hmm. And so the anti-vaccination movement has also gained some out just as famous celebrities like Jenny McCarthy, Gwyneth Paltrow. Was she an anti-vaxxer? Mm-hmm. This, this paper probably came out before, uh, or what I read came out before. Uh, Jim Carrey and Alicia Silverstone, they're, you know, really big on their anti-vaccination policies. Apparently also Gwyneth Paltrow. Well, I think she was. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. When you said you were like, what? I was like, oh, now I'm not as confident. Well, she also has a candle that smells like a vagina. Yeah, her goop. Uh, she's definitely into like natural remedy stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if she wasn't 
if she was kind of like, vaccines are optional. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. I just, she wasn't on the list, and I didn't actually look to see how old the article was. Um, yeah. So, I mean, but supporters in general come from, like, anti-government libertarians, believer of herbal remedies, are the ones that they like to make fun of, and then other people who just do not like it when doctors tell them what to do. They just right. do not like it. There's a lot of this. I yeah. just feel like there's people in this room who probably oh, do. Yeah. So many. And to kind of, like, almost provide fuel for these people is the number of vaccines has only risen, which for most people is a sign of it's a sign of good science, and right? Like, we're, we're eradicating the world of these terrible diseases. Right. Um, but to them, it's, just, it's too many. And then when you also have social media, it's easy to fall into the groupthink and to conform with other individuals who also think vaccines are a no-no. And this article, because the information I'm pulling here came from the New York Times article, and it, they talked to one woman who, um, she was a new mom and stuff. I think she had just moved to the area. You know, being a first-time parent, wanting to meet other moms and stuff, she got involved in, like, this Facebook group, and she was, like, kind of, you know, as any new parent is, they're kind of like, I don't want to fuck my kid up. What is, like, the safe way to do things? And they were all like, you know, don't ever use, like, store-bought formula, use only cloth diapers. No GMOs. Yeah. Which is all very privileged stuff to say. Yeah. But also, they were saying that vaccines were bad, and that she shouldn't get her kids vaccinated. So I think it was her second child was born, uh, like, a preemie mm -hmm. and you know so then she became very worried about that child and realized but what they what she'd been told like in the facebook group because she was kind of already iffy about it but she wanted to like be a part of this and was afraid that if she like fought back like we talked about with uh like mob mentality right. she was afraid that she was going to get rejected if she showed any sort of like hesitation towards what they were saying and so she went along with it and came in her second child who really needed the prote extra protection even more than a regular infant does mm -hmm. it was something like okay you're all getting vaccinated. Like, so her kids are all up to date and stuff, and it came to her. She's like, I'm going to pick my child. Like, They can reject me from the group. That's fine, but I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm not going to be accepted at the hospital for the sake of my own child's well-being. Right. I is, don't care about your sewing circle that much, yeah. Regina. I don't know. <laughs> I like Regina. And really, honestly, uh, this is after I mentioned this party can go off on your soapbox. Mm -hmm. It's just that vaccines are kind of their own worst enemy in the anti-vax movement. So because they have successfully eradicated all these horrible illnesses, disease, viruses, these things that just, I mean, they took people out, they ruined lives, crippled people, you know, your polio, your measles, your mumps, um, even when influenza, when you think about it, oh, yeah. um, is That's that still a problem? Yeah. And yeah. And the thing is, is that just, they don't, they have no idea what it looks like for something like that to just terrorize well, a community. Well, now you fucking do. <laughs> now you fucking do. Yeah. And the issue is, is that. They kn but they know what autism looks like. True. And people are also really poor at assessing risk in situations like this. So for a disease that they don't really have a concept of what that would actually mean for a kid right. to have, but they know what autism looks like, and that seems tough. So sure, let my kid maybe possibly catch polio, because that's not to them right. as bad. The devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you know. Right. So um, let's just talk a little bit about neurodiversity and why it is important. Not everyone has to think the same way. Not everyone has to form conclusions the same way you do. Not everyone has to have the same behaviors that you do. That's what makes us a beautiful population and gives us like every single 
different way of looking at life. It's why innovation happens. There, there is no reason to be afraid of people just because they think a different way than you do or express emotions a different way that you do. It's not something that those people should be expected to change. And it's not something that is in any way bad or wrong or something that needs to be squashed into a different sort of box that is more socially acceptable. Therefore, <laughs> if you would rather your kid not have autism because you think it would be hard for you as a parent, you need to grow the fuck up. Being a parent is hard no matter what. And yeah, like, maybe it's harder for you because you don't think the same way that a kid with autism does. But you're their, you're their parent. You're, it's your job to kind of figure that out and to work with them as a human being and, like, not expect them to be perfect all the time and be what you want them to be all the time. No kid is. Big surprise. So all I'm saying is you need to accept that no one's going to fit your expectations. No one's going to be, quote-unquote, easy to get along with, right? necessarily and that doesn't make them less than and it doesn't mean it's something to be afraid of but especially if the alternative <laughs> is them being dead yeah like come on yeah but to get and then of course now to come back to our actual topic which is the confirmation bias part is also that people do tend to believe anecdotal evidence over abstract numbers um, like in 2007, when Jenny McCarthy insisted that vaccines caused her son's autism, people believed her, and it didn't matter that there was more persuasive data. Uh, she unfortunately had spoken about her own child, and that was them ruled. Right. <laughs> yeah, we literally did, like, in one of my labs this semester, like, we had to do, like, a little, we had to watch a little video that was talking about dirty data and, like, when to not trust data and like one of the big parts is like anecdotal data like they're like never trust yeah. anecdotal data it doesn't matter it doesn't yeah. count <laughs> it can provide humanization when you have actual like data to back it's, it up but yeah. just on its own it's bunk yeah it's bunk science bunk science i mean and also just another thing with the anti-vaxxers is that uh, I mean, let's face it. Why do people get the flu vaccine? Like, why do you, why should you and I get the flu vaccine? Um, and I'll say this as someone who, I'll admit, I've missed quite a few years where I just didn't get one, uh, but I did get mine this year and the year before, is that the whole point of healthy people getting a flu vaccine is to protect those who have compromised immune systems, babies, elderly, people who, or people who just can't get the vaccine themselves. And so it's basically supposed to be this whole, like, common good sort of thing right well, the many protect the few who can't protect themselves but what comes down to it is parents are a lot more concerned with their own child's well-being than society as a whole and then and and to also add on to that in 2014 parental confidence in the cdc and pediatricians was dropping especially around vaccines as mistrust in big pharma grew and it does not help that he who shall not be named is not really all that big into like science fact stuff in terms of politics, um, you know, meeting with a lot of anti-vaxxer movement groups while still being like, yeah, you should get a vaccine, you know? It's not helpful. Actions speak louder than mm -hmm. words. Man does not believe science. 
And then, of course, some are also motivated by fear, such as one woman, um, Emma Wagner, she was apprehensive about giving her daughter, Savannah, a hep B vaccination. Uh, you know, she just expressed some kind of concern. And the pediatrician returned with sort of just, a, as she said, that's fine because your two-day-old daughter isn't a prostitute and isn't using IV drugs, so hep B isn't the top of my worries. So it's also not great when the supposed authority on this is also kind of like, it's fine. She is a mother, of course, wanted to know that they were absolutely safe before using them. Her child has been completely vaccinated, but that's also some of the stuff that abounds in this. And then uh, people also perceive, perceive their risk to be higher when they don't have any control over something. So uh, if a doctor or the government says that this, they should do this thing, that must be a bad thing. It's kind of just thinking. And why this all ties into, of course, confirmation bias is because there are numerous studies debunking the link between vaccines and autisms, and we're talking like dozens, if not hundreds. Yeah. And, you know, those are just ones we know about that got published that have these large cohorts, they'll span years. Like they have looked at different, all the decades and all the different vaccines, and they have shown zero link. This is still a movement that has remained. The anti-vaxxers may even see that they've grown stronger. What we had an outbreak of measles, was it, like, a couple years ago? Um, Yeah. And, I mean, Wakefield, like I said, has been discredited. He's been stripped of his authority in the medical field. He's never coming back. And the movement still grows. And then, of course, to end this is that um, I did find a lobbyist group. Because, like, you know, when I researched, like, the anti-vaccination movement, of course, thankfully you get a bunch of articles that are like, vaccines, you should get them. The whole, all the autism stuff is just, it's bunk science. Um, it shouldn't matter anyway. Yeah, it shouldn't matter anyway. So I went to, so I went to go and find, like, well, I want to, like, see who the people who are, like, nah, vaccines are bad. So I found a lobbyist group in Texas that supports what they call vaccine choice. Um, and to them, legislation that ends vaccine exemptions for religious and philosophical reasons was seen as a slight to their liberty. Like, they had a choice to decide if their kid got vaccinated or not. And the government telling them that they had to is bad. And they also have a store. I looked at it. Stop giving them those Google hits. (laughs) I know, it was bad. And then my second and last one is a bit more um, lighthearted. Like, it's just... Like I said, it doesn't have too bad of an impact. So my resources for this include the Rolling Stones magazine and Times magazine. What started accidentally in a DJ booth in Detroit changed the world forever. <laughs> <You're just> like, <laughs> okay, no, not really, but this whole thing is just fucking weird. So, Laura, you may have heard the rumor that Paul McCartney is dead. Because <laughs> you said I knew what this was yeah. about, and I was like, You're the first person who told me about this. Paul is dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's weird, right? Uh, isn't he one of the living Beatles, right? Mm-hmm. But hold on, yeah. it's so much stuff. Was he actually the first to die? Yeah. Okay, so on October 12th, 1969, Russ Gibb of WKNR uh, radio station was asked by a caller to put on the Beatles' White Album and spin the intro from Revolution 9 backwards. When it was tried on our, on our air, he heard the words, Turn Me On, Dead Man. Which, I mean, I don't know if you've ever actually played it, but it does kind of sound like in, like in a weird robotic voice sort of way. Turn Me On, Dead Man. Mm. I was curious, I'm like, because I actually have it, so I wonder if it'll pick up if I play it. 
his sons. I mean, this is just, there's just so many alone in this 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 conspiracy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it just it, it's it sounds like a weird robotic voice saying it. Um, and at the end of Strawberry Fields Forever, John supposedly says, "I buried Paul." So what could this all mean, Was right? The walrus was Paul. Like I said, I, I didn't – there is there is so much in this, like, so many different things people, like, picked out. I didn't get into all of them. Like, it was overwhelming. So I got some of them. So what could this all mean? The Beatles were hiding a secret. Paul had died in a car crash back in 1966, and he was replaced by an imposter. Dun, dun, dun. And everyone was like, I knew he looked different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The rumors spread, and soon clues were appearing everywhere. And now, even more than 50 years later, it is still one of the most popular music conspiracies of all time. Like, I don't know if you know this, but apparently there's 12 different Afro-Lagines. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Didn't go into that one, but that's a thing. The one that most often gets, the one clue that gets most often, I think, gets mentioned with the Paul is Dead is the Abbey Road. Yeah. Uh, the cover. I was ask if yeah. it's in cover. That's the big one, because that's. Okay. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So the cover is depicted as a funeral procession. You have the preacher, who is John Lennon in white, the undertaker, Ringo Starr in black, uh, the corpse, who you know him. And Paul is dead. Yeah. And then the gravedigger, uh, George Harrison, taking up the rear. Um, all denim. Mm-hmm. And it was it was kind of funny, because whoever wrote this article like had a real sense of humor about it, and they were like, um, had obviously felt like George Harrison got shafted in the Beatles, and they were like, of course they give him the dirty work. Mm-hmm. So It's not like they meant, well, I yeah. guess, depending on the conspiracy you subscribe to, mm-hmm. it could just be an album cover that they, you know, that's how they dress that day. Yeah. But, like, yeah. when you break it down into, well, obviously John Lennon's a preacher because he's all in white, mm-hmm. and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And then also on the cover, Paul is out of step with the others. He is barefoot, mm-hmm. and he is holding a cigarette in his right hand, but he's a lefty. Yep. has nothing to do with the fact that his right hand is facing the camera up front. Nope, nope. He's a lefty, guys. Did you hear that? You heard it here. Paul McCartney is a lefty. Um, <laughs> um, he plays his guitar backwards. I know. <laughs> and then the Volkswagen license plate on the cover says 28IF which is the age John would have been if he was still alive. You mean Paul? I wrote John. See, I'm not good at this. Paul, (laughs) if he was still alive. Because as the story goes, is that on November 9th, after uh, recording in 1966, Paul got, like, angry. He stormed away, and he drove away from Abbey Road late the night before a stupid, bloody Tuesday. One article said he shot himself in the car, and the other article said he got in a car crash and died. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one it is, but the theory goes it's probably both. <laughs> and then he was officially pronounced dead on Wednesday at 5 in the morning, uh, which is why George points to the lines on the Sergeant Pepper sleeve, um, where well, Paul is also wearing an OPD patch for officially pronounced dead. So, but of course, it never hits the news as the Beatles hush it up and tell the newspapers. Mm-hmm. And you we know, have more, we have more money and albums to make. Mm-hmm. So shut it. Yeah, shush. And so they brought in an imposter who dropped clues by writing "Hey Jude" and "Blackbird." And then, of course, just some of the 
pieces that play into this um, huge cover up is, as I said, is that the walrus is Greek for corpse. Turns out it's actually Scandinavian. Uh, goo 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 jube. It, it was weird to write it, and now it's weird to say it. Yeah, thank you, Laura. Is uh, they were saying is what Humpty Dumpty said before his untimely fall in Jane Joyce's Finnegan's Wake. It's not. Um, and then I am the Walrus ends with a recorded live BBC broadcast of King Lear, where Oswald groans, "Oh, untimely death," which John, you know, he claims that he just heard it on the radio one night and he slight outfitted it as a song. Likely story. <laughs> and in Glass Onion, John sings, "Here's another clue for you all: the Walrus was Paul." Doesn't doesn't matter that Paul rhymes with all. He was telling you something. And like I said, there's so many, many more with just playing songs backwards, little things they said, bits and pieces, um, cover art, you know, that basically went in to signify that they're growing guilt over hiding this death. Um, and I'm not going to go into, but like I said, there is, a, it's everywhere. Like it's, it's an incredibly popular conspiracy in the music world. And of course it turns out Paul was in seclusion on his Scottish farm with uh, his new wife or his wife, Linda, and their six uh, week old daughter, Mary you know, being a new dad and whatnot. And at the time, he didn't engage much with the media frenzy. Kind of thought, like, it was funny. It's going to be popular. Um, though the rest of the... <laughs> As if they weren't already. I know. He was, it's like, you're like, yeah, whatever. Because he was kind of like the Americans, let him talk. And the rest of the Beatles did kind of fire back. Like, John even called the same Detroit radio station and kind of was all, like, went off on his whole thing, saying, I'm dressed in white because the, the Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart... Uh, so eventually life reporters tracked down Paul and his farm where he threw some water on them, which I thought was funny. Uh, but he did eventually agree to interview uh, and do some photos. So at this point, like, they ran an article. The tale was debunked, but its popularity still does remain. Like, did you know that if you held up a butter knife to the back cover of Abbey Road, you can see a reflection of a human skull? Or that's, I'm so tired, spun backwards, says, Paul is dead, ma'am. Miss him, miss him. I just... Or... Even that his first solo album was an empty bowl of cherries. Like the saying goes, life is a bowl of cherries, but it's an empty bowl, which means Paul's dead. Have I talked about this yet? Neither have I. <laughs> but what I was going to say is, is that can, I just, I dare any of the people theorizing this or like any sort of satanic panic related, like listening to this album backwards and it says blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I want you to try to record something so that when it's played backwards, it says something. Well, try it. Just, just try it. Try yeah. it. See what happens because you're probably not going to get a message. Because, like, how yeah. fucking hard would that be to purposefully I know. hide secret messages and tape backwards? Like, how would you know? It's, too, it's a lot thought out. And John did, he like, some of the things he said in response was, like, he was supposedly said, I buried Paul. He claimed that he said cranberry sauce. I mean, they're they're British accents. We're not yeah. gonna understand. Yeah, I mean, I did take some time to be like, I buried Paul, buried Paul, cranberry sauce. Like, but I mean, like, even when I was a kid <laughs> listening to their songs, there were so many of their lyrics that I had no idea what the fuck they were singing. <laughs> like in that song, looking through a glass onion. Mm -hmm. That's how they say they say like looking through a glass onion, and I was like, I do not. 
Maybe figured it out. She, it was onion that she was wearing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the OPD patch that Paul was supposedly wearing is actually uh, says OPP for Ontario, Ontario Provincial Provincial Police, basically. And again, it's just goes to the links and people will find they will find anything to prove like a theory that they have um you know like they were so people were sure paul was dead and now here's all this evidence that can prove that he was i mean and also just as i was just kind of reading this I was like how the fuck like how the fuck are you gonna keep the media quiet how did you not have the police officer who came to the scene go home and be like hey honey guess what i saw today you wouldn't believe the day i had you know um, cause you know, the police are just so good at not sharing shit like that. I'm surprised we didn't cover the moonwalk. I don't know if that one came up. Cause I guess there's a lot. Do you want to share? Oh, people just believing we've never been to the moon. Oh, oh, I see. I thought this was beetle related. Oh, no. No, these, these were the two I wanted to cover. Yes, guys. We've never been to the moon. Flat Earth. Flat Earth. That, uh, Hitler is in a bunker in Arctica, the world is run by a group of high paying celebrities, but also lizards, yeah. Lizards too. Um fluoride in our drinking water. What else am I missing? I think I covered it quite the popular. But yeah, I love if you ever wonder why somebody believes a crazy conspiracy theory, come Yeah. But also, just to end on a note, uh, jet fuel can't melt steel beams. All right, that's it. (laughs) So that's all I got for you guys. (laughs) All right, well, goodbye. As always, thank you for listening to Weird Science, hosted by Laura Moyer and Emily Gangness. If you'd like to get into contact, our email is wetalkweirdscience at gmail.com, spelled W-E-T-A-L-K-W-E-I-R-D-P-S-Y-E-N-C-E at gmail.com. Our Instagram and Twitter handles are at weirdscience, spelled the same way. Cover art is by Morgan Kalka, whose Twitter handle is at playerdirector. Music is by Josue Allen at J-O-S-U-E-A-L-N on Instagram. Thank you so much. Have a great day.